Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. It's all about me. It's the centre of my universe, that's true. It is indeed all about me. But that is a very literal interpretation of life. It's almost so obvious that it doesn't need to be said. However, it is precisely my perception of that very obvious statement which determines just about everything that happens in my life. How I consider my own identity, its relevance and importance, will ultimately impact my relationships with everyone and everything I interact with. It is therefore extremely important that I try to understand my perception of myself. Notice I didn't say, understand myself. There are many selves. The one you see is not the one I see. I'm an evolving, changing being, and I can be a different me depending on the context. So my challenge is to try to understand how I perceive myself in all of its varied incarnations how I project that self onto the world. I'm talking about my ego. The idea of the self is something which makes us unique as humans. Rather than respond to our environment solely on instinct and genetic programming, we have a sense of the self as an independent entity capable of making choices that will have an impact on the outcomes of life. If you are hungry, you can choose not to eat. Or if you are angry or upset, you can choose not to shout or cry or express your feelings to others. These choices stem from the fact that you are aware of yourself. You're aware of your existence as a thinking, feeling presence here in this life. The notion of self has been interpreted by both philosophers and psychologists as far back as ancient Greece. Socrates, he's the old Greek guy with the beard, he spoke of the purpose of philosophy as to know oneself. And that take on it comes from the branch of philosophy known as metaphysics, which deals with first principles like time, being and knowing. Then there was a French philosopher called René Descartes, and he dropped the beard for flowing locks and a goatee, and he famously postulated cogito ergo sum, which is Latin for I think, therefore I am. The idea that the self is intrinsic to our humanity is fundamental to metaphysics. David Hume, he was a highly influential clean-shaven philosopher who lived in the 18th century, proposed that the self is not really a constant, but a construct which varies over time although we hardly notice it. As far as you're concerned, you're the same person you were five years ago, more or less. But Hume argued that you were just a series of transient thoughts and feelings, what he called a bundle of perceptions. The self is therefore not a representation of an actual personality with specific traits and characteristics. It is simply the state of awareness we have of ourselves as being a unique entity inhabiting this time and place. It's here that the self begins to take on the notion of the ego. The Eastern religions reject the notion of the self altogether. They argue the idea of self that gives rise to our ego is the source of much of our troubles in life. It is the ego which makes us selfish and needy, narcissistic and greedy. The truth, according to some Eastern religions, is that there is no self. And to achieve a state of enlightenment and awareness of this fact through meditation is to achieve the state of nirvana. Then there is the psychoanalytic perspective of the ego, which was most famously postulated by the bald but bearded Sigmund Freud. Freud's definition of the ego is complicated and ties into his theory of three aspects of the self, which he called the id, the superego, and the ego. 
The id, he theorised, is our primal self. It has no moral compass and just wants to plunder and pillage to fulfil its desires. The superego holds the moral and ethical foundations and societal norms that were instilled in us as children by our parents and other influential figures. The third aspect is the ego, and it's the rational, critical aspect of the self which mediates between the morality of the superego and the wrongs of the id. I told you it was complicated. Who would have thought ego could be so complex and varied? It's clear that we humans have spent centuries trying to understand our place in the universe and who we are, and it seems as if we still really have no idea. There is another definition of ego which is probably the most important one from an everyday life perspective, and it's the one I'm most interested in thinking about here. I'm talking, of course, about the negative connotation, where ego is commensurate with hubris, arrogance, self-promotion, selfishness, narcissism, greed, and so on. We've all seen it, and we all have it within us to a certain extent. Despite the teachings of the Buddha, it's virtually impossible to detach from oneself and be completely unselfish. Anytime we feel offended, affronted, put out, perturbed, it's our ego we are feeling. Someone or something has threatened our own perceived level of self-importance. Our ego's feathers are ruffled. How dare that person cut me off? Don't they know who I am? I'm me! Whenever someone questions our judgement or a decision we make, when we make a mistake, we're embarrassed or humiliated. It is our ego that is the source of that pain. Now as much as I want to tell you to set aside your ego, I think that is too much to ask of anyone. It's just too intrinsic. We can't entirely suppress the sense of self, the ego which inhabits our being. And nor would we want to. If we lose our ego, we lose our self-esteem, our confidence, self-respect and purpose. Without ego, why have discipline, goals or a direction in life? Because it is our ego that will experience all of the things we set out to do, and it's our ego that will take pride in achieving all of those things, including how we treat others. If we don't care about ourselves then we fail to appreciate and live the fullest life we deserve. However, our ego may well be the most unattractive element of our personality if left to grow unchecked. When you're with other people, are you normally the one doing the talking? Do you often interrupt people and finish their sentences? Ask yourself, what are the things I'm good at, my strengths? Are they things like, I'm a good communicator, I'm a great negotiator, I can convince people to do things, I'm generous, If someone asks you what other people think of you, or how you perform a certain task, do you give an answer? When something goes wrong, when you make a mistake, do you find reasons why it happened? And are those reasons blame for others or circumstances, conditions over which you had no control? When things happen in your life, bad things, annoying things, frustrating things, do you say, why me? Do you sometimes say, knowing my luck, it'll probably happen to me? Do you see a pattern in all of these questions? They reflect the ego, in varying degrees, but they describe aspects of your personality which you may not even be aware of, but which you project onto others when you put yourself ahead. I have a problem. It's actually an illness. It's called misophonia, and no, it's not a fear of Japanese food. I don't know why I have it, but I can remember having it at least since I was a teenager. You see, I can't stand the sound of people eating. I even hate the sound of myself eating. Now, I'm not an overly quiet eater as far as I know, 
although I don't think I'm an especially noisy eater either. It's probably partly because I'm hyper aware of it in others, so I'm conscious about it in myself. And partly also because I was taught to eat with my mouth closed. A couple of years ago, researchers actually discovered some fundamental differences in the brains of the 20% or so of people who suffer from the condition. Yes, it is a condition. It's basically the connections from different regions of the brain, including the amygdala, which drives a lot of our emotions in the fight-or-flight response, they interact with the prefrontal cortex, and those interactions are thicker uh, than in people who don't suffer from it. So the PFC, prefrontal cortex, over-responds to certain sounds. Now, Mike McRae is a science writer. He wrote on the popular science website, Science Alert. Brain scans revealed a marked difference in subjects' neurology. In those with misophonia, the triggering noise is correlated with increased activity in various regions of the brain, including the frontal lobe, and the anterior insular cortex, or the AIC. The AIC is buried deep in the fold separating the frontal lobe and the parietal lobe from the temporal lobe of the brain. It's responsible for a bunch of mediation tasks, including managing emotional experience, and it also plays a role in integrating signals from the outside world with information inside the body. Those with misophonia not only had increased AIC and frontal lobe activity, but also in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the amygdala. Measurements taken of the structure of the VMPFC indicated they had thicker insulating myelin sheaths, and these are what help carry messages. They are like an insulating layer on the outside of the neurons. So taken together, the evidence suggests that those with misophonia have brains that struggle to control the spread of messages associated with certain sounds. Unfortunately, there is no medicinal cure. So there's really only one answer. To acknowledge that the problem is mine. How I interpret the behaviour of other people when it has nothing to do with me is my problem and mine alone. While my internal response is to think horrible thoughts about those people and rationalise my feelings as being caused by that person's behaviour, chewing in this case, it's not rational at all. Can you see why I'm bringing this up in relation to ego? The only way I can manage my misophonia is to accept that it is my problem, and then do my best to manage my emotions. That can be a real challenge, but if I can overcome my natural response, or at least suppress it somewhat, then I'm going some way toward not only gaining more power over my mind and its thoughts, which can be useful in other situations, but also towards managing my own ego and its demands to have the whole world adapt to suit me. And I can also employ some tactical solutions, like listening to music or a podcast on my Bluetooth earbuds, or in some cases, I might be able to move to another location. What I shouldn't do is stare at that person with an annoyed and disgusted look on my face because that person has no idea what's going on in my head, let alone an awareness that they're a noisy eater. They might not even be that noisy. It's probably just that I am overly sensitive to it. Should the whole world have to change just because of me? Of course not. I need to pull my head in, accept that it's my problem, and deal with it. Now, unfortunately, I haven't done a very good job of it over the years. I even once accused my wife of having thin cheeks, which she vehemently denied. Now, we still carried out several measurements, and it turns out she doesn't, although I remain suspicious. However, I am learning to manage my ego and its relationship to this crippling disorder. So the message here is simple. Check yourself. Use the positive aspects of your ego to turn your focus inward and ask yourself, How much do I let my ego dictate my behaviour? In episode 3 I spoke about 
Richard Carlson's tip to let other people be right most of the time. Winning a life is not about winning an argument, winning something for yourself at someone's expense, or being the top dog. Winning a life is acknowledging that there isn't even a competition going on. I think it's about keeping your mouth shut, your eyes and ears open, and being a compassionate, kind person. We all know someone who people describe as not being able to say a bad word about anyone. Those people invariably have their ego in check. They are humble and down to earth, and they epitomise the qualities we should all strive to attain. I'm sure we also all know someone who we find stifling, someone we might describe as hard work, someone we make excuses for because we know their ego seems to take up the empty space in a room. And if you don't know someone like that, it's probably you. Whatever your personality and natural disposition, we all have an ego and it pops up from time to time, so we have to manage it. Whenever you feel that rising tide of anger or frustration, when you think someone did something to you, take a moment, detach, and remember that it is your ego that is making you feel that way. Yes, it's probably their ego that has made you feel that way too, but you can't control that. You can only control yourself. Now you could say I like a challenge, As I moved to China, where there are slightly different table manners than I was brought up with, and chewing loudly is a national bloody pastime. But that's a great test of my ability to manage my own ego and deal with my misophonia. And I'm trying. I really am. And I think I'm doing pretty well. But of course, that's my ego talking. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes and be sure to give us a rating at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or at the email, email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.